Good morning. My name is Crystal Culp, and I'm the pastor of adult discipleship here at First Church, and I am Okay, um, I'm going to try not to do that the whole service. We'll see what happens. Um, I, my husband is Pastor David, who is the lead pastor here at First Church, and he is at our All Claire campus, our new All Claire campus. They are celebrating 30 years of ministry there today. And um, one of also one of their first Sundays as an official campus of First Church. And we're so excited about that, that ministry. 30 years ago with just a few people, um, their families that had a vision for God to do a work in their community. They had their first service of what is now our All Clear campus. And they did that um, in the basement of the planting family's home, and then they moved to a living room, and then eventually they started having services in a garage and Sunday school in a living room. So over the years then, they, they saved money. Over two years' time, they saved money, and they eventually, a couple families even mortgaged their home, and they were able to build the building that is now the Eau Claire campus. And so for 30 years, they've done ministry, and God had entrusted those families with a vision there at the Eau Claire campus, and now he's entrusted a new vision to a new generation of people there to begin to rebuild and restore God's ideal there at, in Eau Claire and the surrounding community. And we're so excited about that, and we're celebrating with them today in great expectation of what God has in store. So they were entrusted with a vision. But over 100 years ago, there was a group of Eastern European immigrants who were entrusted with a vision for a church right here in St. Joseph, Michigan. And they began to make bricks in their basements, and they built this building literally hewn from their hands and it, they never dreamed, I'm sure, that eventually we would be sitting in a space like this today. Over a hundred years ago, a vision entrusted to people like you built this vision, helped to see this come to fruition through a vision that God had entrusted to them. And I'm sure they never thought that or never dreamed that that vision would expand and pretty soon we would be entrusted with a new vision, one that would include the Benton Heights campus, the Stevensville campus, the New Heights CCDA, which is our Christian Community Development Association nonprofit under the umbrella of First Church, and that houses our auto services. And then we built the ministry center at Benton Heights campus, and then now the Eau Claire campus. And in the fall, you guys, the Laundry Hub will be up and running. Uh, yeah, yeah. A hundred years of a vision that God entrusted just a few people. And I'm sure if we could talk to them today, they, they would be amazed at all that God has done in and through the vision of people like you here at First Church and the way that you're impacting not only people here at home, but abroad in places like Malawi and Paraguay and so many other places that kingdom work and kingdom walls are being built because of people like you. Now today we're going to begin a new sermon series, as Pastor Jake mentioned, and we're going to be actually studying in the book of Nehemiah together. And we're going to look at the life and leadership of Nehemiah and how he stewarded his time, his talents, his treasures, all for the kingdom, all with a vision that God had entrusted to him. So Here's, let me just, and this is something that um, I'm going off notes for because 
this happened to me in the first service. And as I stood and listened to Pastor Jake lead worship, it was one of those moments that I felt like the Holy Spirit actually just showed up. And in the lyrics to all of the songs we sang, the sermon was already preached before the sermon was preached. And I love it when God does that and his voice echoes throughout the entirety of our service. This book of Nehemiah is very special to me. I, um, I was asked to come speak at Mid-America Christian University for their spiritual emphasis week a couple of years ago. And so I was to speak for five days and I felt this weightiness for these college students. Because it's, it's no short order for you to be asked to steward this the lives of these students and try to impart to them what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through them. And so I, I was in my hotel room alone the night before I was to preach for the first time and I, I just, I could not get through the weight of it. I, I couldn't see my way through to the other side and I had prepared and prepared and prepared but it never quite felt right. And I always, before I speak, I still do my own personal quiet time. I got up this morning really early and did my personal quiet time before I came to preach. And so that day before I was to preach, I was doing my own personal quiet time and I was in the book of Nehemiah. And so that day on my knees, God and I began to do some work. And he just took the book of Nehemiah and did something new and fresh in me that I was not expecting. And what happened in that week was nothing short of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit right out of the book of Nehemiah. I cannot explain it to you without getting emotional because it, it changed me. That week changed me. I was forever changed by the story of this man of Nehemiah. Because what I realized in that moment was that I had been holding back in fear. When I was about 20, I felt a call of God on my life, and I spent a really long time running from that call. Now, I just mean that I, I got a different education. I, I, I got a nursing degree, and then I was going to get an education degree and then, you know, just on and on and on. And I was like searching for something all the while knowing that God had called me to ministry. And then as life does, we had two boys and they became my mission field. And that calling was wonderful and I'm so thankful for that calling. But that day in Oklahoma City, in that hotel room, what I felt like God did in me was all of a sudden... That new fresh call, this new wind came up on me and I was able to fully step into what he had called me to do several years ago. And it all was a result of walking through the book of Nehemiah and leaning into what God wanted to say to me in that moment as I looked at the life of this man. And we're going to do that together over the course of this series and I hope that you'll lean in and you'll listen deep and wide and long and hard about what God wants to say to you this morning. What vision he has entrusted to you as the people of God. And we're going to start in Nehemiah 1. And we're, first of all, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. 
The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, what you need to know is that we have clues here in the Bible that Nehemiah actually wrote this book because much of the book is written in first person. And so the other thing you need to know is that he is now serving in the Persian royal court as a personal cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And it's from this place that we see Nehemiah's character and his influence. And so as we read here in verses 1 through 4, you'll get the beginning of what we see. We don't know anything about him prior to this. We don't know about his childhood. We don't know much at all until we see him here as an adult serving in this court. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the months of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying for the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah is obviously upset about something. And when we study anything in the Bible, the context of what we study is really important. So what's the problem exactly, and why is Nehemiah so distraught? So prior to the book of Nehemiah, in most of the Old Testament, what we see is the children of Israel rebelling over and over and over again. And we especially see this in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and most of the prophets leading up to Nehemiah. And then what we see in First Kings is the Jerusalem destroyed and then the temple burned. And then within about three years, we see Babylon actually falls to the Medes and the Persians and the people of God are now in exile. They're being ruled by foreign leaders and they're scattered with no temple to return to and worship. However, God had promised to remake and rebuild the children of Israel. So what we see is in the first year of the Persian ruler, Emperor Cyrus, he decrees that the Jewish people can return to their land and begin to rebuild some 70 years later. So in Ezra, we see Zerubbabel returns to rebuild the temple. And then several years later, Ezra leads another group of people to return to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. And now we see Nehemiah. So... While, while Nehemiah is serving in the court of a foreign king, he still has a heart for God's people. He's a godly man that's concerned about his people. And he stays up to date through the travels and the information of his brother. So again, context is important. And, and you're probably wondering, well, what big deal is this wall thing? The temple's already been built, but you're right. The temple was rebuilt, but the wall not being built back up left them vulnerable still to attacks from enemies, and it left the temple of God vulnerable to further attacks from enemies. And his heart was burdened for the protection of God's people and the temple of God. Nehemiah's heart is broken over the incomplete work of God's people, and he has this unique heart for this problem in Jerusalem, a unique heart with a burden to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem to protect the temple and to protect the people of God. And you guys, all of us sitting in this room and online, we all have been given a unique heart for the Lord. Now what breaks my heart probably doesn't break yours. 
We all have different things that break our hearts. Now, there are some things that should break all of our hearts, but then there are unique things that each of us are more passionate about than others. So what's unique to you? We've told the story of a gentleman here at First Church. His name is Roger Herbstreet, and we've told this story before. But I want to tell it again because it's a great illustration of this point. Roger is a modern-day Nehemiah. As he had a burden, his heart was broken for people who had the need of reliable transportation. Roger's a mechanic, and he's very humble. And he uniquely understood the the need for reliable transportation for individuals. So he came to David, our lead pastor, with the idea of taking donated cars, repairing them, and getting them into the hands of individuals who had a need. Now, the result of that, several years later, is New Heights Auto Services. And I just had a meeting with Pastor Chris this week, and they are on track to serve, to service cars, and give cars away to more than 200 families this year. Yeah. Yeah. New Heights Auto Service is a kingdom wall. It was the unique heartbreak of Roger Herb Street that started in a one-stall garage with just one vehicle. And I'm sure Roger never thought that it would become what it's become today. And if you've never been out to the auto service building, this is just an aside, a little commercial, you should go. And one of the ways that they support this ministry is for people like us to take our cars there to be worked on. So if you need anything done to your car, take it there because that then funds the ministry to help us continue to do this for people. That ministry was a kingdom wall built by a man who had a vision that God entrusted to him. Roger's story and the story of Nehemiah give us great examples of what it looks like to step into that unique call God has for all of us. So what's the unique call that God has on your life? What kingdom wall is he calling you to build or rebuild? What is he calling you to steward well? So let's go back and look at Nehemiah and see what he does in his heartbreak. And he does something that we all should do, and that is that he goes to his knees in prayer. Let's look at, again, chapter, five, chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. And then he goes on to acknowledge their actions as a people. Nehemiah is being very honest, and he's owning the sins of his people. And then we see in verses 8 through 11 that his tone begins to change. And he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses? And he's speaking to the Lord in prayer, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, what we need to know here is that as most writers do, he's kind of summarizing this. He's 
he's telling the story just a little bit of a shortened version. And what's important to know that Nehemiah's time in prayer was much longer than just the one or two minutes that it took me to read that portion of Scripture. Nehemiah actually petitioned God for four months in prayer and fasting. He petitioned God, repenting of the sins of God's people, asking for strength and wisdom and favor and declaring the promises of God. He took his broken heart to God in prayer, and he laid that unique heartbreak for the Jewish people that God had entrusted him with before the throne, and he stayed there for four months, petitioning God on their behalf. And just like Nehemiah, that unique heartbeat that each one of us has inside of us, that unique call, that passion that's been entrusted to you, must first be brought to God in prayer. We see a dependency on God through an attitude of consistent, diligent prayer in Nehemiah. And this teaches us a valuable lesson about the urgency of prayer and the power in a life lived from a posture of prayer. There's a story told about um, an area, one region in Africa, that the first converts to Christianity in that area, they were very diligent about praying. In fact, the believers each had their own special place outside of every village where they went to pray in solitude. And they would get to those prayer rooms through their own personal footpaths through the brush. So when grass began to grow over one of those trails, it was evident that the person wasn't praying too much. So because these new Christians were concerned for each other's spiritual welfare, a unique custom was born in that region in Africa. So whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would go to the person and they would lovingly warn, friend, there's grass on your path. Is there grass on your prayer path? Is there grass on your path? Have you prayed about what breaks your heart and surrendered it to the God who gave you the heart to care for it? Psalm 105 verse 4 says this. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. There's two times in that verse of scripture where the word seek is used. And there's two different Hebrew words used for seek in this verse. The first has a literal meaning of beating a path to God. And the second word for seek means to desire, require, or request. To seek God's face is to seek his favor. It is to desire for him to look at us and for us to be able to gaze on his face. You guys, it's worship. It is desiring his presence. It's requiring his presence and not being satisfied without his presence in our lives, in our prayers. In our story of Nehemiah, we see that he is emboldened by the strength of God that he gets after soaking in prayer, after beating a path to God, desiring the presence of God, requiring his presence, and being satisfied in his presence for four months. And then we see Nehemiah, after all of that soaking and beating a path to God's presence, we see him emboldened in power, and he goes before King Artaxerxes to plead his case. And we too can plead the case for the unique heartbreak that God has entrusted us with 
Desire his presence in that vision. Require his presence to be with you before you make a move. And do not be satisfied without spending time there soaking in the presence of God. Stay until you hear him and then move emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's skip ahead to chapter 2 and let's read verses 3 through 5 together. And let's look at what Nehemiah does after praying when he takes his plea and goes into the presence of the king of King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah 2, 3 through 5 says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? Now, what you need to know is that in the previous verse, the king had said to him, why are you sad? And what you read in Nehemiah is, is that he had never, he says, I've never been sad in the king's presence. So I think it's interesting here that the scripture records this demeanor of Nehemiah. But it goes on. He says, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Again, this demeanor of Nehemiah, in this demeanor, we see just kind of another aspect of who Nehemiah is as a man of character and integrity. This is in this small little detail. So in his position in this court, he had never shown sadness to the king. His leadership seemed to be marked by a calm, peaceful presence. So when he shows sadness, the king knows that something's really up. He knows that something's really important, and there's a level of seriousness that's affected by the character and of the leadership history of Nehemiah. And then we also, in this portion of Scripture, we see a pause in the middle of this exchange in verse 4, where the king asks him, Why, what are you requesting, him, requesting? Where Nehemiah then pauses and says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and then he gives his plea to the king. So again, this is a dependent posture that we see from Nehemiah, a prayer posture that we just spoke about, an acknowledgement of the king of kings as Nehemiah makes his plea to the king of Persia. He communicates the vision God had entrusted to him, a vision of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. So let me ask you this. What is the vision that God has given you? What is the passion of your heart? The power of prayer, whenever that, that passion and the power of prayer and the vision that God has laid on your heart, the vision that God has entrusted to you, when those all intersect, the kingdom of God is advanced and lives are changed. And kingdom walls, you guys, are rebuilt when all of that comes together under the power and presence of God. Nehemiah's vision was to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But what's that thing? What's that thing? What's that wall that God is asking you to rebuild? What is the vision that God's entrusted to you? Where is he asking you to build kingdom walls? Is it time to speak that out loud? Just as Nehemiah spoke the vision that God had entrusted to him out loud, is it time to fully embrace what God has entrusted to you and say it out loud? I told you about that time in Oklahoma City where I was alone with the Lord and I got on my knees and I fully stepped in and surrendered. It was the first time that I had actually spoken the call of God on my life out loud. It's the first time that I was able to fully embrace it because I had always had this sense of such inadequacy. 
And in that moment, the Lord God reminded me that I can only do it through his power. It's not about me. And as we step into that place, into that broken-hearted vision that God's entrusted with us, and we realize that it's not about us, but it's about him, there's power in that humility. There's power in that place where a fully surrendered life takes hold of the presence of God, and we're able to plead our case and go before him and say, I'm ready, God, I'm ready. Let me say it out loud. I'm ready. Now, Nehemiah's plea doesn't end in a simple request to go to Jerusalem. He then invites the king into partnership. So look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, as we read this scripture, we again see the influence and the stature of Nehemiah on display. And then he goes even further in his request. After the king grants what he asks for, we see him in humility. He doesn't take credit. Instead, he says, for the good hand of God was upon him, on me. And then now... He has the partnership of the king of Persia, but he doesn't stop there. He goes even further. And we see that in verses 16 and 18. And he says, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So just a little aside. At the end of this verse, do you catch that he's headed to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and he hasn't even told the people that are going to do the work yet? Did you catch that? So right now, it's just Nehemiah and God. And I mean, Nehemiah's okay with that. And could Nehemiah and God have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem? Absolutely, 100%. But he's going to need some help. And he hasn't told these people, hey, I've been talking to God and I've made this plea to the king. He hasn't told them anything. So what we see here is that at this point, He's made three pleas. His first plea was to God in prayer. The second was to the court of the king. And now his third plea is to the Jewish people, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were going to actually be doing the work. And this is what he says. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So Nehemiah shares with them how God's been working and about the support of the king of Persia. And we see here, not only do we have three pleas from Nehemiah, we see three partnerships that result from the leadership that Nehemiah provides in beginning to do the work on rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. The partnerships he develops continue, and we see that later in Scripture. And you guys, he rebuilds that wall with all of these partnerships, and with God at the helm of it, the wall is rebuilt in 52 days. This is a great story about a great leader who God used to accomplish his purposes. But what does this all mean to us? We've been asking the question, what's that vision God's given you? What's been entrusted to you? I'm going to ask our praise team to come back up. 
So the question is, what's been entrusted to you? Nehemiah was a layman. He wasn't a priest or a prophet. He wasn't a priest like Ezra. He wasn't a prophet like Malachi. He served the Persian king in a secular position, leading a group of Jews to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. Nehemiah's expertise in the king's court equipped him adequately for the political and physical reconstruction necessary for the remnant there to survive. Under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jewish people withstood opposition and they came together to accomplish their goal. And you guys, here's what this means for us. We're rebuilding the kingdom together. We're building the kingdom together. There's a quote by Duncan Campbell that says this, The kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by churches becoming filled with men and women, but by men and women becoming filled with the presence of God. I'm going to say that one more time. The kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with men and women, but by men and women becoming filled with the presence of God. I wrote this little sentence last night as I read through all that I had prepared this week. I said, we begin to cast our gaze away when we begin to cast our gaze away from the mirror of self-reflection to the distant view of the greater kingdom of God and all it encompasses. Then we can see the entrusting work God is doing uniquely with our own hearts. We're going to see more from the life of Nehemiah. But what we must understand is that vision without determination, hard work, diligence, and a willingness to serve is really just only an unrealized dream. There's a saying that goes something like this. When's the best time to plant a tree? Anybody? 20 years ago. (laughs) When's the next best time to plant a tree? John? Today. Yes. Nehemiah could have bemoaned the time that the children of Israel had lost in exile. He could have been discouraged by years and years of rebellion and disobedience. And in his frustration, he could have said, I'm not dealing with that. Time is lost and the city of Jerusalem is lost and I'm just not going to go there and do that. It's, it's too far gone. But he didn't. And I, I think that maybe there might be somebody sitting in this room wondering how God can use you. And maybe you're letting your past prevent you from stepping fully into all that God has for you. Or maybe it's not your past. Maybe it's your age. Let me tell you something, guys. There is no ageism in the kingdom of God. None. What I see in my personal quiet time right now, this morning, before I came here, I read in 1 Samuel about Samuel as a boy hearing from God for the first time as a child. Historians think he was around 12 years old when he first heard from the Lord and prophesied to Eli. So you're not too young. 
Enoch, he was 365 years old. God bless us all. He was 365 years old and he was used by God and then he walked so closely with God that God just took him. At 46 years old, I fully stepped into what God had for me and I started the process of ordination. It took me three years. I finished it at the age of 49 and then I stepped into an education process, a new one, and God willing, four months from now, I'll graduate with my master's. But what I'm telling you, and I'm 50, I'll tell you, I'm 53. But what I'm saying to you today is it does not matter how young or how old you are. It doesn't matter what your past has been like. It doesn't matter how broken you think you've been. My God is able. And every single one of us has a part to play, a gift entrusted to us that's an important part of building the wall of the kingdom of God. He needs you. Lives around you need you. We're all ministers in the kingdom of God. And Nehemiah teaches us that. What we see him is he's basically a politician and he steps into what God is for him to do. There may be somebody in here working in politics and God is asking you to build the kingdom wall right where you are. There are people sitting here in these chairs every Sunday that are building kingdom walls in foster care. There are people sitting here building kingdom walls. They come in here every Tuesday morning. Guys that volunteer to help us manage our resources well at all of our campus. And they literally build walls. There are people building walls at Whirlpool. There are people building walls at Mosaic and New Heights. And people building walls in the nursery holding babies so that young families can sit in a service like this in student ministries in children's ministries teenagers there are kingdom walls that need to be built in your height built in your high schools in your middle school or middle schools there are kingdom walls waiting for you what vision has god entrusted to you uniquely just you you are the Nehemiahs of this generation. And what I know is that we have kingdom work to do and we can only do it together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. First things first, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know the God of Nehemiah? Do you know him personally? Do you know Jesus? There's no better time to do that than today, right now. It doesn't matter that you didn't do it 20 years ago or yesterday. Today's the best day to do it. So if you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior and step into all that he has for you, would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? Nobody's looking around. Just slip your hand up. And those of you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And those of you sitting here who do know Jesus as your Savior, and you may be sitting here right now feeling a new call on your life. And if that's you, and you're feeling a call on your life that you've never fully stepped into, and you would like to say today, God, I'm all in, just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for the rest of us, I'm just going to ask this of you. If you would be willing just to say to God, God, I'm in, and I'm willing to listen, and I'm willing to be a part of building the kingdom wall, wherever that is and whatever it looks like, and if you would be willing to partner with us for the greater kingdom work of God and partner with him to see his kingdom come, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? If you're just willing to say, I'm in, yeah, I'm in, I'm all in. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to ask everybody to stand where you are and look at me and stand. And we had someone accept Jesus as their Savior. And so right now, I just want to pray a prayer of salvation. And I want to ask you to join us in praying that prayer together. Because we need each other's support in the kingdom of God. When we're following Jesus, we do it together as a community. So as I pray this prayer and we repeat this, will you repeat it with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for the gift of salvation. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I confess my sins to you. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. God, I accept that gift today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.